if we have special music today or not. Good, you can hear me sing. You folks can go sit down. I don't think you want to hear me sing this morning. I have three commandments. First, you need to put on the full armor of God. The second commandment is pray for your pastor so he can have the words to speak. The third commandment, if anyone here brought their fishing pole, don't leave today and go fishing. It's been quite a week. Everybody doing well? Kalechi's doing well. She's here with her new husband and as happy as could be. Now we need to pray for her brother Bright so that he can bring his wife over here to the United States and worship with us. So you got to pray for Bright. One accord. I didn't put Toyota up there because they're having too many problems with their vehicles. This last week, I had to go visit my ENT specialist, ear, nose, and throat specialist, who performed a little bit of a minor surgery on my sinuses to remove scar tissue. Um, thought about putting what I looked like afterwards, but I don't think you wanted to see the bloody gauze that was sticking down on my nose and didn't wasn't a very pretty sight. If uh, I sound a little funny, there's still a little bit of swelling up in my sinuses, but I think that will eventually go away. But anyway, while I was there, when I went up for, not this last week, but before then, uh, after she checked my sinuses, she says, you know, we have uh, within the clinic uh, um, a specialist, an audiology specialist, who want, I think we ought to test your hearing. So I went from her office over to the audiologist and he put the headphones on me and tested my hearing and went through all the ranges of frequency and he came back and he says, you've got perfect hearing. Well, praise God, but I said, now don't tell my wife that because she thinks I can't hear a thing. (laughs) Well, he says there's one thing that a hearing aid will not correct, and he says that's selective hearing. And I guess that's probably what I've got is selective hearing. I wonder if Jesus had that in mind when he made a statement to uh, Peter and his other disciples in the book of Mark. Jesus had told them three times that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross, and be resurrected. They didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear that he was going to come in and he was going to overthrow the Roman government and he was going to set up his kingdom and they were going to be important men in the kingdom and sit on one of them is going to sit on the right hand and somebody will sit on the left hand and they're all going to be real important in that kingdom. But that's not what was going to take place. I want you to look what it says in Mark chapter 8 and verse 33. It says, But when he had turned around and looked at his disciple, he rebuked Peter, saying, 
Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. What was Peter's focus? Was on the wants and the desires of man, and not the wants and the desires of God. It's kind of interesting that he had said that to him. The word mindful in the Greek is kind of a different word. He means to understand what has been said or taught. And so Jesus was saying to Peter, you do not understand what I've been trying to teach you. You've got selective hearing. You don't want to hear what I have to say. You only want to hear what you think should be said and done. We tend to do that, even today. When we open the Bible, we want, we want to read what we want to hear, not what God wants us to hear. I want you to take a look. I'll jump over that to Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Look what it says here. Then they, that's the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, Judas the son of James, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You know that. You've read that. Where were they meeting? In the upper room the upper room of a house, not in a church. They were in the upper room. They were meeting there. It says they were one of court. That doesn't mean that they always were in tune and believed everything just exactly the same because we know later on that Peter and Paul kind of didn't believe the same thing and they had arguments and they had problems. But they were of one accord, in fact, that their mindset was to be and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was important to them. So here they were in that upper room of that house. Let's take a look at Acts 2, verse 1. Here again is another place where it says that they were of one accord. When the days of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. Do you know where they were meeting? Some place in Jerusalem. It was when Pentecost came and they began to go out and they began to preach like they had never preached before. Let's look at another text. Acts 2 verses 44 to 46. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Where were they meeting? At the temple. 
not only at the temple, at the church, but then they went out and they went from house to house and began eating together and talking about about Christ. They were there of one accord. Acts 5, verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Where were they meeting? Solomon's porch. Do you notice that they were going from upper room, Jerusalem, the temple, house to house, Solomon's porch. They were all meeting together one accord. They were different places where all this took place. It just didn't happen at the one place in the upper room. But it happened in many places. The link that holds the new church together is being of one accord and having fellowship. I mean, they were just sitting in these places. They were fellowshipping together in the upper room. They were fellowshipping in, in the temple. They were fellowshipping in house to house. They were fellowshipping. That doesn't mean they were always sitting there and having a grand time. Sometimes in these places, they had problems and they were praying. Sometimes they were meeting there, and even though they were there of one accord, they were there like in the upper room. They were afraid. They were there because of fear. Sometimes they were there to be able to share the gospel. But notice that they were going from place to place, various reasons of meeting in this place, but really the one thing that they were doing was that they were there and they were bonded because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Am I right? Our denomination used to have a lot of fellowshipping. Do you remember? We used to have things within the church that was just unbelievable. Some of the socials that we had, sometimes we had more people come to a social than we actually had coming to church. And we loved the fellowships. We used to go to, to people's house after church and have a meal and fellowship the whole afternoon until the sun went down. Didn't even think of going home till the sun was down. We had functions that would take place inside the church that many people would come just for that fellowship, that time together. It was important. It, it helped us to get away from the problems at work and to get away from the problems of home and to get together and to come as believers who we knew was having some of the same problems. But we got together and we fellowshiped and we prayed with each other and we opened the Bible and we just enjoyed a Sabbath day of fellowshipping and focusing on Jesus Christ so we can face the new week. When I first went to church, first time in the Adventist church was at the Garden Grove Church. I went with my aunt and uncle who were Adventists. I came from Kansas. I didn't know what an Adventist was. I, I thought it was some kind of a disease or something. But when I came out here, I'd come up on weekends and we'd go to church. But one of the things we went to was a church social, 
a Hawaiian luau at someone's house. And being in the Navy, the first thing I noticed, no alcohol. You mean you could actually have fun without a beer in your hand? And the other thing that we did is we prayed. And we didn't do that in the Navy. And everybody made everyone else feel comfortable in this home. We didn't look at social class or race or anything else. We're all there, one accord of being members of a church. Yet I wasn't a member. But I went. And it was fun. And I enjoyed it. And it was something new and different to me. And a few weeks later, I went with my uncle and we went out to a park where the church had a softball game. You know what I noticed? First, we had prayer before the softball game. I never saw that on TV. We had prayer after the game was over. There was no cursing. No yelling out, you dummy, why did you miss that ball? There was no put-downs. We just had a good time. And it didn't make any difference what age was there. We had young kids that got up who were six and seven years of an age, and the pitcher would move in closer and make sure that they got to hit the ball. And then we had guys that they moved the men out in the outfield because they wanted to show off and hit the ball farther than anyone else. We even had some men that were in their 80s that played softball just to be a part of the group. Do you know what that did to me? I wanted to find a church that knew how to fellowship in Christ. And the only church that I ever saw was a Seventh-day Adventist church. That's not saying that they weren't doing it in other churches, but that had an impression on me. And I went away for two years, and when I came back, I went with my aunt and uncle to another social. You know what? They remembered my name. I'd been gone for two years. That's one of the reasons, because of the fellowship, that I joined the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Do you see how important fellowship is? It's to get together. And like I said, sometimes when we get together, it isn't always for fun things. Sometimes it's very serious things. To come together and to realize that if I have a problem... I can come to my group and we can kneel in someone's living room or wherever and we can I, I have the assurance that they're praying for me, not only there, but when we leave, they go to their house and they pray for me at their house. Man, that's great comfort to realize that that happens. Fellowship encourages a lot of people. 
But what has happened to the fellowship in the community and in the church nowadays? Our last social, beautiful social we had up at Oak Glen. And we were very grateful that we had, what, 25, almost 30 people there? Why didn't we have 200? Why, why didn't we make it so we could invite a non-Adventist, non-church member to come to be a part of it? I took a survey one time in one of my churches back in Kansas. And I asked in the survey, do you have non-Adventist friends? And 90% of them came back and said, yes. I don't know what the other 10% were doing, but 90% of them came back and says, yes. So I asked them, if there was something going on other than church, if there was something going on like a social within the church, would you be willing to invite your non-Adventist friends to come? 90% said no. And so I gave them a space and asked them why. They said, because we're afraid that they might not be accepted by the rest of the church or that we might force our friends to say and to do something that they may not want to do and will never return again. Man, when you got that fear, no wonder you don't fellowship. Fellowship is extremely important even for you and me. I need to know that people care about me. Do you know what they have discovered now? You know, the, the, we, we take a look and we try to see about the, the younger generation and why can't we reach out and to get them. And we especially look at the ones who do not attend is like in the 30 uh, years of age range. Do you know what they tend to do? They go out someplace and they fellowship. They may go up in the mountains and fellowship in the mountains. They may go to the beach and fellowship in the beach. They invite their friends to come and to fellowship with them. Do you see how important it is if we as a church should be fellowshipping with each other and to bring in other non-Christians to come in? It's, a, it's, a, it's an opening for them to become interested in Jesus Christ. I want to give you an example of fellowship and how it works. I've asked Paul if he would come up. He's got two two nights, Friday night and Saturday night, that uh, he has two different groups that they fellowship. Paul, you want to share with them? And how important is it? Very important. Very crucial. We meet uh, every Friday night at Art and Nikki Gaetan's home. No one comes into that house without receiving a hug. And you that have attended know what I'm talking about. Everybody's received very warmly with a hug. And you feel, even if you come for the first time, that you're home. That you're home and you're accepted. We have a little light supper at about 6.15. And then about 7 o'clock we open up God's Word and we have a Bible study. Those who come on Friday night, would you stand please? Those that have come to that Bible study on Friday night, please stand. See, and there's some way at the back, by the way. Yeah, there they are, right here. L- look around you. This is what meets on Friday nights, folks. Every Friday night. Every Friday night for fellowship and Bible study and a delicious meal. Please be seated. Then on Sabbath afternoon after church, we run over to Maria and Abe Garcia's home and we have a, a lovely Sabbath dinner and then we get into a study of the life of Jesus Christ. With those who come to Maria's house or have been to Maria's house for that fellowship and studies, please stand.
Look around you, folks. Look how many. Look how many. Please be seated. I wish to God that we had 20 groups meeting. 20 groups of this church meeting every week for fellowship, for a Bible study. We, we need that warmth and that comes from fellowshipping one with another. What, Bob, what Pastor Bob was talking about, about going to a church that meant so much to him, I grew up in a church like that. We had a softball team. The church was the focus of our lives. Everything was focused at the church. It was wonderful. Praise God. And we need more of these groups. The thing of it is, is because of these two groups, they've had baptisms that have resulted because of the study and the fellowshipping together. And it's important that when a person comes and joins the church, that they know at least seven people within the church. Otherwise, they'll go out and not come back. Okay, those that have been to both of those study groups on Friday night and and Sabbath afternoon who have been baptized, please stand. See, look at this. Look at this. Do you see how important it is? It's that fellowship. It's more than just... You don't have that with an evangelistic meeting. The people get acquainted with the pastor and the evangelist. And that's usually about it. Or maybe the greeter when they come in the door. Or when my wife tackles them and gives them a hug. But can you imagine what would take place if, like Paul said, if we had 20 of these going on? Now, Abe and Maria's house is not that big. I mean, sometimes when we go there, we got to sit out on a patio or we got to stand to eat, stand in the kitchen, wherever. But it doesn't matter. It's the fellowship. And sometimes I think they've got to tell them to go home because they'd like to go to bed at night. So we need to, to begin to look at these things. I want, want you to see what happens. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There's the fellowship place. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Do you see how important it is? There's something about that fellowship that people enjoy and they begin to focus on the Lord. There's that one accord and they're saved. So it's essential. Jesus often invited himself or was invited by others to their house for fellowship. And when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, do you know what he needed there as he prayed? He needed fellowship. Luke 22, 39 and 40 coming out and went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice what he was doing. Jesus not only needed fellowship, and he needed his disciples there with him when he was praying. You know, like I said, it doesn't always have to be fun. Sometimes it's serious. And this was a serious time. Jesus was sweating the droplets of blood. The weight of sin was being put on his shoulders. He needed his disciples to be there and to pray. But he also asked them to pray for a benefit for them. 
so that they would not fall into temptation. It was important. Luke 22, verses 45 and 46, when he rose up from prayer and he come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. He wanted them to get up and to, to make this a serious thing. Pray. It was for their benefit. Jesus needed that support and prayer and fellowship. He also knew that his disciples need to engage in the same thing to overcome the evil temptations of Satan. So it was not only a benefit for Jesus, but it was a benefit for his followers. It's a benefit for you as a church member to be able to to meet with each other and to come and to participate in whatever the church has. If, If we don't have enough, then create something in your own home. Mark 2, verses 1 through 5. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in a house. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. We know that passage. We've read that passage. But do you know sometimes... Even though we've heard it, we've read it, we didn't hear it. Here they let this man down. Where was Jesus meeting? Simon Peter's house. It was a house. And all these people were coming in. It's like at Abe and Maria's house. All these people are coming in. It was crowded. I bet you there wasn't a a chair available for the majority of the people. They had to stand. So, here's this familiar passage. Sometimes we read it, but we skip over some very important details about this. But I want you to notice, Jesus and the crowd of people were in a house fellowshipping together when they brought this paralytic in. The New Testament is full of people coming to Jesus for healing and he often said something to to them before or after they were healed. Let me give you an example. For example, a blind man. Jesus said to the blind man, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you whole. So here's what he said to that blind man. The same thing when the ten lepers came and uh, Jesus healed all the ten lepers. There was one that came back, back to thank him. Jesus said to him, Go arise your way, your faith has made you whole. To Mary Magdalene, when she came in, Jesus said to her, Your faith has saved you, go in peace. Do you see a common link in all of these? It's their faith that has healed them, saved them, whatever. Alright? So let's go back to Luke chapter 2 and verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. I just want to know if you saw this or not. He was healed because of their faith, not his. 
their faith. That's different than all the other examples. When you can bring a non-church member to some type of gathering or social, whether it's your house, whether it's a church, wherever it is, pizza hut, wherever it is, fishing, if you bring them, and you bring them because of your faith, your faith may be the thing that will heal them physically, mentally, or spiritually. Brothers and sisters, we are better off when we begin to socialize together other than church on Sabbath morning. We need to open up and and allow an experience to take place in our homes. I have seen times where let's say there's a, a, a woman that comes to church, her husband does not come to church, he's not a believer in Christ, but she invites people over Sabbath afternoon. And they sit and they pray and they have a good time. You know who might be in the other room with his ears listening? Her husband. We had a time where we lived in... Uh, in um, We had a church in Junction City, Kansas, where Fort Riley is located. A lot of soldiers that are there. A lot of wives are church members. They come to church, but their husband's too busy soldiering. There is such a word. So what we would do is after church, we'd say, bring your husbands, let's just meet over, and Gene and I would open up our house or wherever, or we'd go to the park. Let's have a sandwich together, and let's just kind of go for a walk. And so they'd bring their husbands and they'd come and we'd go for a walk. And you know what? We had baptisms of these soldiers that would come because there was fellowship. Sometimes the fellowship has to come first before the Bible study. Sometimes we think the Bible study has to come first before we associate with them. That's not the case. You want another evangelistic tool? Open up your home. If you don't think that you can do it, get together with another person. Two or three couples. And to come together. We have people that are coming here now that are coming from Loma Linda. So when church is over, they get to turn around and go back to Loma Linda. Say, hey, come on over to my place. we got some here from Hemet. Come on over to my place. We've got some that are coming from, from the desert. Come on over to my place. We've had some that have come up from San Diego. Come on over to my place. Let's just spend the afternoon. I remember one time a man visiting this, this little church that I had way out in western Nebraska. Only six members in this church. This man came and visited. And one of the members says, Look, sir, you, we don't want you to turn around and go back because he was a long ways from home. Just come over to our house. And so he came over to their house. And we had a nice meal. And we sat down. And the guest fell asleep right there on the couch. I mean, 
the whole snoring and everything else. When he woke up, he was so embarrassed. But he was exhausted and he needed that time to sleep. And the lady, I'll never forget, the lady says, you know, that's okay. Anytime you're in town and you feel like you need a nap, come on over to my house. You know, he didn't feel that bad anymore. And he came back to visit, by the way. Because we didn't embarrass him. It's amazing what a little fellowship will do. Because when we fellowship together in one accord, we are evangelizing. And you can sit there and do like you do over Abe and Garcia's. They, they read the Desire of Ages and discuss that. You can read something else. You can have the Bible open, have a little Bible study. You can have a video, whatever. But just fellowship. You know, these crazy old teenagers, they like fellowship. Do you know what? They don't mind fellowshipping with old fogies like us. If you include them. I remember another church I had, the teens would go, we had a gymnasium, the teens would go off in the far corner, wouldn't talk with any of the other people when we'd have our potluck. I got up and went over and sat down with them. The next thing I knew, the whole group of teens, they'd wait until I'd start. They'd stay back in the, in the foyer of the church and they'd wait until I'd get up to start preaching and then they'd come in as a group and, and like a gang, that's that fellowship, and come in and sit down on the front row. And the next thing I knew, they started taking notes of the sermon. When they first were coming, they were wearing their old tattered jeans and shirts with holes in them and everything else. And they came in and they sat down, and because we fellowshiped together, one Sabbath, all the guys came in in three-piece suits. And the ladies, the young ladies were wearing dresses, beautiful dresses, and they sat down. And then the next week, I had a sermon and we dealt with, uh, you know, the, the, the standards of the church, beauty, jewelry, things of that nature. All the teens handed me all their rings and earrings and nose piercings and everything else and says, you know, we want to worship Christ. We don't want to worship things anymore. That's what fellowship can do, no matter what age no matter what culture. And I've been to fellowship where the people couldn't even speak English, but they sure made me feel right at home. That's important as well, too. It's this fellowship together that we begin as church members because it helps us to get through the temptations. We as church members and not church members begin to learn to lean on the everlasting arms of Christ. It is a magnificent tool that works. So we want to sing about that. Let's take our hymnals and turn to hymn number 469.
stand as we sing? What a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms leaning, leaning safe and secure from all alarms leaning, leaning leaning on the everlasting arms sweet to walk in this pilgrim way, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path goes from day to day, leaning on the everlasting arms. Safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread? What have I? Gracious God, we are of one accord. But the proof of that is when we fellowship with others. It's needed. Helped by the divine power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and to lead us to get together into fellowship and to bring others into that fellowship. And learn, all of us, to lean on the strength, the arms of Jesus is our prayer in his name. Amen.